would turn with me to Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. I am excited about where we are, and I'm excited about where we go, and I believe God has great things in store for Lake City. Amen. I believe that God has great things in store for this group of people. And I believe that God is moving us into his perfect will. I believe that his timing isn't always my timing. Amen. The way that he brings it about isn't always the way that I wanted him to bring it about. Amen. I, I'm like Mary and Martha. I wanted him to heal Lazarus when he was wanting to put him in the grave and call him forth on the on the fourth day. Amen. I, I understand that, that sometimes God doesn't move like I want him to move. But I believe God is moving. And I'm saying, yes, Lord, whatever it is, wherever you're taking us, we want to see it happen in Lake City. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. If you have it, would you stand with me and would you say amen? Amen. The scripture says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul. I want to preach from this subject. The world is not enough. The world is not enough. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and anointing. I thank you for the presence of God that I feel in this house right now. You've already anointed your word, and I'm asking the Lord to anoint my mouth as I speak that word in this place today. Lord, let the power of the word of God touch us. Let it speak into our hearts and our lives, into our very being, Lord, and let it change us, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. The longer I live, the more I come to realize how short life really is. The book of James says it best. It says that life is like a vapor that appears for a moment, then vanishes away. The truth is, however, that it's not the shortness or even the unpredictability of life that bothers me as much as the suddenness and finality with which death intrudes on the land of the living. Death is even more unpredictable than life. And no matter how long that you know that it is coming, and no matter how prepared that you may think that you are, you are never really ready to face the death of someone that you love. It always seems as if death came too soon, as if life was cut too short. There are always things that were left unsaid. There are always deeds that were left undone. There are always dreams that were yet unfulfilled. And at the end of it all, when life is considered in the context of death, it never seems to be enough. Life is always too short. We are always left with questions. Why? God, why did you take my loved one so soon? Why did life have to end so abruptly? Why didn't I have more time? Why didn't we do more things? Why didn't I say this before it was too late? I recently read the story of Marshall Stanley. Marshall Stanley is the editor for Leadership Magazine, and he and his wife had a child that tragically only lived two minutes. Toby was born with a rare and severe genetic disorder. 
and his life ended just moments after it began. To compound the grief of that, three months later, their two-year-old daughter died also. Marshall and Susan Shelley were left with one pressing question. Why? Why did God create a child to live only two minutes? Why did God create a child to live only two years? The question is universal. We've all asked it. Why? Where's the justice and death that seems to come too soon? How do we make sense out of life that seems to be too short? I'm here to tell you on a Sunday afternoon that there's an answer to that question, and it is an answer that each and every one of us needs to hear today. God did not create a baby to live only two minutes. God did not create a little girl to live just two years. God did not create me to live only 40 years. And God did not create you to live only three score and ten years. God created all of us for eternity. We were not made for this world. We were not made for this life. None of us were made for the few short days of trouble that we encounter down here. None of us were made for the fleeting moments that we breathe, earth's atmosphere. We were made to dwell in spiritual places. We were made to walk in heavenly places. When God formed you in your mother's womb, when you were fearfully and wonderfully made by God, He made you with heaven in view. He made you with heaven in mind. He didn't make you for the short temporal, momentary life that you live in this world. He didn't make you for the fleeting lifespan of a vapor that is here for a moment and then quickly dissipates. He made you for an everlasting existence in heavenly places. He made you to experience the wonders of eternity. He made you to know what it is uh, to live in his presence uh, forevermore. Uh, He didn't make you to be a citizen of this earth. He didn't make you to be a citizen of this world. He made you to be a resident of heaven. When the first breath that you ever breathed, you were destined for better things. From the very first moment that your life began, you were intended for things better than this world could ever offer. You were intended for eternal life. That's hard for us to grasp because this world seems so permanent. This world seems so real. Everything around us seems so final. But let me remind you that the span of time that you spend in this life is no more permanent than the nine months uh, that a baby spends in the womb of its mother. And the reality of eternity is as far beyond your comprehension uh, as the reality of this present world is uh, to that baby that has not yet been born. You can't even begin to imagine what life is like uh, in eternity. You can't even begin to imagine uh, what you're going to see and where you're going to live and what you're going to behold on the other side of glory. You can't even begin to grasp uh, the understanding uh, of what it is that God made you for. The half has never yet been told. 
eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's never entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for us in eternity. I come to this pulpit on a Sunday afternoon to tell you, you were not made for this world. You were not made for the temporary pleasures of this life. You were not made for the shallow, fleeting moments that you encounter down here. There really is a heaven to gain. There really is a city where the Lamb is the light. There really is a place uh, where there never comes a night. Uh, there really is a place uh, where there is no sorrow, where there is a place where there is no sickness. Uh, there is no place uh, where there will be no more death and no more dying. That is what you were made for. That is what you were created for. That is why He formed you. That is why He breathed life into you. King Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And he wrote scripture under the inspiration of God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, he opened a door of understanding into the human condition. A portion of that verse, when read from the Amplified Bible, reads like this. God has planted eternity in men's hearts. He put a little bit of heaven in your heart. He put a little sense of eternity inside of you. It goes on to explain there's a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. I want you to understand something this afternoon. When God made you, when God created you, he put a little bit of eternity in your heart. Uh, there's a portion of your spiritual being uh, that knows what it is uh, to have fellowship uh, with the Almighty. There's a part of you that has tasted uh, a peace that passes all understanding. Uh, there's part of you that's tasted uh, of joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's part of you that knows what it is uh, to live in the presence of love uh, that is unfathomable and unexplainable. And there is a desire within your heart planted there by God himself that nothing in this world will ever satisfy. There's a deep stirring. There is a craving in your soul that nothing in this life can ever fulfill. It's that gnawing feeling somewhere in the back of your mind that is always with you, that always reminds you that something inside of you just is not satisfied. Something within you will never be satisfied by anything less than heaven. Something within you will never, ever feel the sense of fulfillment until it stands in the presence of the Almighty. It doesn't matter how much you achieve. There will always be that unfulfilled desire. It doesn't matter how many material things that you may obtain. There will always be that aching in your soul. It doesn't matter how successful you may become. Your successes will never satisfy the longing that God has planted in your heart. You, my friend, were not made for this world. 
You were not made for the temporary joys and triumphs of this life. They will never satisfy the eternal longing of your soul. Men have believed that the wealth of this world would satisfy the longing of their souls, but the wealthy have thrown their lives away under the influence of unexplainable depression because all the money in the world can't satisfy the longing of your soul. People have believed that power and prestige, that position and recognition would somehow satisfy the desire within. But they've been sadly disappointed as they have discovered that when they reach the pinnacle of accomplishment, there's still something on the inside that is not satisfied. Still others have tried to fill the void with education and knowledge, but all of the knowledge in the world will never, ever satisfy that craving that is in your heart. There is a part of you this afternoon that will only be satisfied by the presence of God in your life. There's a longing in your heart. There's an aching and a desire within you. There's a part of you that longs for eternity. It's hard to explain, but we long for something that we've never known a home that we've never inhabited, a place that we've never seen. Heaven is some vision somewhere, some fantasy beyond our understanding. It's something beyond our grasp, but there's something inside of us that aches with a homesickness for heaven. The songwriter said it this way. He said, call me a dreamer because I call it mine. Heaven, I don't care. And call me crazy Because I'm homesick for it, yet I have never been there. Call me a stranger because that's all that I am. I know that I don't belong. Can I tell you this afternoon, you don't belong to this world. You weren't made for this world. You weren't made for this life that you inhabit. You were made for heaven. This world is not our home. Let us never forget that we are strangers and pilgrims down here. This world is not what we are living for. This life with all of its joys and sorrows is not the sum of our existence. The highest heights that we reach down here will never satisfy the eternal longing that is in our souls. The greatest achievements that we accomplish down here will never measure up to the hope for heaven that resides within us. Uh, We're just passing through this whole world. Uh, We're on a temporary journey to an eternal destination. Uh, It's not about my two seconds uh, or my two minutes uh, or my two years uh, or my 20 years uh, or my 40 years uh, or my 60 years uh, or my 80 years. It's about eternity. It's about heaven. It's about being in the presence of God forevermore. The metaphor of strangers and pilgrims is a rich biblical testimony to the fleeting nature of this life. It illustrates the truth that our stay here is temporary. The pilgrim is on a journey. 
through a foreign land on his way home. Heaven is our home. We're on a journey. We're going somewhere. This world is not our home. This life that we live is not the end of our journey. This world with all of its short-lived rewards is but a foreign land in the context of the eternal desire that God has placed within us. We were not made for this. We were not created for this. This is not the sum total of our existence. We were made for heaven. We were made for eternity. We were made for something far and away greater than anything that this world ever had to offer. The Apostle Paul expressed it this way. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. He said, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Our citizenship is not in this world. It is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for our Savior. There's something within us uh, that lives in hopeful anticipation of the day when Jesus is going to come again uh, in all of his glory and power. And he'll transform uh, this earthly body, uh, amen, into the image of his glorious body. Uh, there's a day coming uh, when everything's going to change. Uh, there's a day coming uh, when I'm going to leave behind sorrow and pain. Uh, there's a day coming uh, when all of my suffering is going to be behind me. There's a day coming uh, that's going to give way to uninterrupted joy uh, in the presence of the King of Kings. There's a day coming when trials and troubles are going to surrender to eternal victory. There's a day coming when death it's going to be swallowed in sweet victory. I come to tell somebody in this place today that this world is not your home. This life is not what you're living for. You get so caught up in what's going on in your day-to-day existence that if you're not careful, you lose sight of the very reason for which you were created. And I come to this pulpit to tell you, you were made for heaven. You were made for eternity. Heaven is your home. Don't get so caught up in what's going on down here that you forget the real purpose of your life. Don't get so caught up in all the tragedies and triumphs that occur down here that you lose sight of the eternal purpose for which you were made. Don't get so involved in this life with its fleeting treasures and momentary fulfillments that you forget that nothing in this world will ever satisfy the eternal longing of your soul. Numbers chapter 32 contains an interesting story. At the end of a long journey, after many years of wandering through the wilderness, as they stand poised to finally possess the promise of God, the tribes of Reuben and Gad became enamored with the lands of Jazar and Gilead. And the Bible tells us that the tribes of Reuben and Gad had a, a great multitude of cattle. And these lands, they were perfectly suited for cattle. 
They had gentle rolling hills. They had massive green meadows. They had beautiful streams that flowed through them. The, the conditions were perfect to settle there and raise their cattle. There was only one problem. Those lands were on the wrong side of the River Jordan. You see, when God made his promise to Abraham about the land that a seed would possess for an inheritance, God was very clear about the boundaries of that promise. And Jazar and Gilead were on the wrong side of the boundary. Now, there is no doubt that when God promised the Canaan land to the seed of Abraham, that there was a portion of that land that was intended for the children of Reuben and Gad. But they became enamored with what they saw on the wrong side of the river. They became attached to the land that they were supposed to just be passing through. Somehow something tragic happened and they started putting down roots uh, and they started building homes uh, and they started settling down uh, in a land that was supposed to have been a temporary dwelling place before they ever even crossed over the river into the promised land. While the promises of God were yet on the horizon of their faith, they decided that what they found here was better than what they would find over there. So they traded the promise for the present. They traded their future for right here and right now. And at the time, it seemed like a fair trade. At the time, it seemed like the right thing to do. But what they did not realize was that they were condemning their children and their children's children and their children to a lifetime of being brutally oppressed by their enemies. You see, the promised land that God described to Abraham was separated from all the lands that surrounded it by remarkable geographical features. Those natural boundaries would prove to be vital to the security of the nation of Israel. And some of Israel's worst enemies lived to the east of her eastern border. And that eastern border, as described by God, was the Jordan River. You see, that border was more than just a line that God drew on a map somewhere. That border was more than just a standard that God established to say, this will be the boundaries of my kingdom. It represented a formidable barrier for invading armies. And when Reuben and Gad decided that they would settle for something less than the promises of God, when they decided that they were satisfied with a land that lay on the wrong side of the River Jordan, they unwittingly placed their families on the front lines of the battle for Israel's existence for generations to come because they were on the wrong side of the barrier. They were on the wrong side of the line. They were on the wrong side of the river. 
and they were exposed to the constant attacks of the enemy. They were vulnerable to those that hated them because they were living outside of the boundaries that God had prescribed for them. The land that they settled for, the land that they said, you know what, I like it right here. I don't have to go on over into the promises of God. Never became to them the blissful paradise that they imagined that it would be. Instead, they were constantly under attack. Instead, their homes were constantly on the front lines of a raging war. There was never any peace there. There was never any prosperity there. There was never any satisfaction there. Long before the kingdoms fell, those lands fell into the hands of their enemies because of their attachment to the wrong side of the river. Reuben and Gad put their families in a place of great heartache, great pain, and great suffering. First of all, let me say this. God established the boundary for a reason. God drew the line for a reason. It didn't make any sense to Reuben. It didn't make any sense to Gad. They didn't understand why God drew the line where God did They didn't really respect the fact that God established the boundary for their protection. God established the River Jordan as the eastern boundary of the promised land for their own good. But they were so enamored with what they saw on the wrong side of the river that they thought that they could just annex it into the promise. They could just annex it into the promised land. They thought that somehow they could enlarge God's boundaries. It's a big tent thing. We're just going to push out the boundaries a little bit. We're going to take in a little more on the other side of the river without any consequence. And they learned the hard way that boundaries matter. God separates us for a reason. There's certain things that God puts out of our life. He draws a line and says, you don't go there. You don't do that. He doesn't do that to keep you from something good. He does that to keep you from something bad. He does that to keep you from harm. He does that to save you from unnecessary trials and heartaches and pains. But Reuben and Gad never understood that. They just saw a line that God said, this is the boundary. They said, you know what? I think I'm comfortable living on the other side of that line. When we foolishly try to cling to things, that are outside of the boundaries that God has established for our lives. We make ourselves vulnerable to the attack of hell. We make ourselves vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. The line is there for a reason. The men of Reuben and Gad never understood that until it was too late. They weren't created to live on the other side of the river. They weren't made to dwell on the other side of the river. They were made for the promised land. They were made to dwell with the people of God, but somehow they became so attached to that foreign land that they were passing through that they decided that they would just settle there, that they decided that this is enough for me, that they decided I don't have to go on into the blessing that God has promised. And they traded the promises of God for something less. They settled for something that fell far short of what 
God had intended for them. And they paid the price. And their children and their children's children. Our text this afternoon asks a very pointed question. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Think about it for a minute. All of the riches in the world, the whole world, all of the successes and accolades in the world, all of the material possessions, the pride and the prestige, what is the value of the whole world? Everything that there is, everything that you can measure, everything that you can think of, everything that you can see, what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world? But the question really is, what is the value of the whole world when it's measured against eternity? What is the value of the whole world when it's measured against the hope of heaven? And the answer is plain, my friend. The world isn't big enough. The world isn't wide enough. The world isn't high enough. The world isn't deep enough. There aren't enough riches. There aren't enough pleasures. There isn't enough prestige. There isn't enough power. The world is not enough. We were not created for this world. We were not created for this life. We will never be satisfied. We'll never be fulfilled. We'll never find the peace and the joy that we seek on this side of heaven, on this side of eternity. We were made for spiritual things. We were made to dwell in heavenly places. We were made to experience the wonders of God's glory, and we will never, ever be satisfied by anything less. Reuben and Gad settled for a troubled existence on the wrong side of the promise because they had an exaggerated estimate of the value of this world and a diminished view of the price that lay before them in the promised land. Listen to your pastor this afternoon. The downfall of many a good man and good woman has had its roots in that same condition. People settle for this world because they develop an exaggerated estimate of the importance of temporary things and a diminishing view of the glory of heavenly things. People settle for this world because they develop a, a jaded viewpoint about heaven and they become enamored with the exaggerated treasures of this life. And all of a sudden, they begin to trade their blessings for momentary pleasures. They trade treasures for trinkets. They trade that which is priceless for that which is worthless. They trade their promise for the present. I come to this pulpit this afternoon to tell you that the world is not enough. If you gain the whole world, if you gain all that there is, 
if you become the most popular kid in your class, if you become the richest guy on the block, if you become the highest man in the company, if you become the most successful woman in the book club, if you achieve the very highest heights that you can imagine, the world is not worth it. It's not worth trading heaven for because this world wasn't made to satisfy the longing that exists in your soul. You need to stir up the hope of heaven. You need to stir up the hope of eternity. You need to refresh that eternal longing that resides in the very center of your being. Sometimes we get so caught up in the cares and concerns of this present life that the promise of the future loses its draw. Listen to me. The hope of heaven can change you. The hope of heaven can transform you. The hope of heaven can lift you out of this whole world uh, and into a whole other existence. Uh, but that hope cannot grow in a heart that is enamored with the riches of this world that hope cannot grow in a heart that is satisfied with the temporary momentary fleeting rewards of this life I come to this pulpit on a Sunday afternoon to challenge you shake yourself stir yourself remind yourself this world is not enough Reuben and Gad settled for what they already possessed because they allowed the allure of the present to rob them of the promise of the future. I want you to beware lest you make the same mistake. I want you to be aware and I want you to be aware of the fact that it's possible for you to trade the eternal for the temple, to trade the treasure for the trinket. Amen. Their minds became so captivated with what they saw around them that they lost sight of the promise that awaited for them on the other side of the river. Don't lose sight of glory. Don't lose sight of heaven. Don't lose sight of eternity. It's time to renew your hope. It's time to remind yourself of why you're living, of what it is that you're living for. It's time to remember that God didn't make you to live 20 years or 40 years, or 60 years, or 80 years uh, in this life. Uh, God didn't make you for the things that you attain in this world. He made you for eternity. Would you stand with me? The author, C.S. Lewis, referred to this present world as the Shadowlands. What a brilliant way to conceptualize this life. We live in a world that is constantly overshadowed by sin. We live in a world that has fallen short of the glory of God. Everything in this life is touched by the shadow of the temporal. Everything in this life uh, is impacted by the temporary nature of this world. Our greatest joys are fleeting. Our highest accomplishments leave us longing for more. Our happiest moments are only temporary pleasures. The best things that this life has to give last only a moment, and then they are gone. Life, indeed, is too short. All of our earthly treasures are subject to corruption and tarnish. Everything that glitters in this life 
is turned with the passing of time. Nothing in this world even begins to compare to eternity. Let your pastor tell you, with the authority of the Word of God, this world is not enough. Nothing in this world can satisfy the hunger of your soul. Nothing in this world can satisfy the eternal longing that God has placed in your heart. Solomon said it best. There is a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. This world cannot satisfy. 